Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started. There's something about that name, and I tell you that name is power, among other things. You know, as I, uh, you know, as we began the service and we watched that video of uh, Samaritan's Purse and the Operation Christmas Child boxes, and I mean, and just seeing that young woman's testimony, you know, going to back to when she was a child, I always wonder, what in the world am I going to put in this box? You know, God knows. It, doesn't ma- it probably does not matter what I put in that box. No matter how strange you might think it is, or I might think it is, God will see that it gets to who it needs to go to. That's an amazing God. And uh, I hope that you have uh, chosen to participate in that. If not, you can still do so. Uh, we have a few boxes in the back. Uh, next week is the deadline for, uh, for receiving uh, those, uh, those boxes back here. Uh, you can still go online to Samaritan's Purse and uh, send one, I don't know, digitally. You just pick out what you want. I think it costs $25, including the shipping. And uh, pick out what you want, and they build the box for you, and we'll do it. So that's, uh, that's an easy way to, to participate as well. But uh, what a great ministry it is. And I tell you, it's just, I love hearing testimonies about what God does. You know, sometimes we... We just talk or we think and we pray and, and maybe, it, maybe you know, you get a little discouraged about the state of the world or the state of whatever. You know, and sometimes we wonder, where's God at, right? I mean, I know that, that sometimes I feel that way. But you know what? He is everywhere. And He is continually at work in the lives of people. And uh, may we never forget that. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the God that, that we worship and Wayne, brother, I got to tell you, the I'll fly away background coming from the guy that working in the cotton patch gives a whole new meaning to that verse, right? Just a few more weary days and then, right? I get it now, right? I mean, you know what was, and we all have our own ideas of what wearies us out. I guess his was hoeing cotton, huh? But uh, anyway, well, you know, today in our world, <clears throat> There is an increasing, I don't know, I guess I'll say hostility, although that seems like a, I don't know, it seems like too strong a word maybe to use because I don't sense it all the time in that kind of a, of a sense. But an increasing hostility in our culture towards what we might call biblical Christianity. You know, we see it in everything from politics, right? And uh, the dividing lines that are among candidates and that are among parties. And by the way, this Tuesday is election day. So if you haven't already done so, go vote. It is your responsibility and duty as an American and especially as a Christian to let your voice be heard. So don't assume that your vote doesn't matter. Go vote. And um, anyway, I didn't really intend to say that, but... But, uh, but we see this hostility from in the lives of politics. We see it uh, in, in entertainment. 
You know, every single show that I watch, there's something that just irritates me about it. Right? There's some value that it's like, no, why did that have to be in there? You know, and, and I mean, I know, probably you know what I'm talking about. You know, we, we fight about it in our schools, you know, with teaching this kind of this teaching or this kind of education and that kind of education. And there's just this, this thing, right, that just stays, stays at us. And, uh, and I'm not preaching this morning, right, to bring to light the different moralities or value systems or, or stuff that we see in our culture. I don't, I don't really think I need to. And, th- and this isn't the passage to do it. You see it. You know. You, you see it. Um, if you don't see it, then, you know, then, I mean, praise God, you're so Im- not immersed in our culture that you don't know what I'm talking about, Right? And you're, I mean, you're so in tune with the, the things of God and, and maybe don't know about what's going on in the world. And I tell you, that is not a bad thing. You know, we used to call that a sheltered life. Well, praise God for sheltered lives. But, um, you know, but, but also uh, we, may be, we may not know the Word of God enough to know what ought to offend us. You know, and that's kind of the other... That's kind of the other side of that. But there are definitely opposing worldviews. There's opposing values and uh, all of those kind of things. And, and you know, it's, it's always been that way. I mean, I know for us it seems, wow, this is bad. It's never been this bad. Well, it has. It has been this bad. You know, when you, I mean, you go all the way back to the, to, I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden, but Without going back that far, you know, you can go back to the nation of Israel and God called them to be set apart. And what happened? Man, as soon as they got, you know, bedded down, as soon as they started living among the nations, they started falling apart, you know. And, uh, you know, we, we see it in, uh, in, you know, in times of Jesus, right, where, uh, you know, the followers of Jesus were just at a conflict with the pagan cultures that, that were around them. And there was persecution, and there was ridicule, and there was all kinds of, of stuff that, you know, that went on. So there's always been, there's always been conflict. Jesus himself said in Matthew and in Luke, he said, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So you see, there's really no neutral kind of position that we can take. Right? Jesus doesn't allow us to, to take a neutral position. And, and you know, and, and we, live, we, we live in a time where, I mean, we're not being persecuted like, you know, like they were in Jesus' day. You know, where they were being hunted down. I'm talking about American Christians for the most part, and Tuttle Christians specifically. I mean, I haven't felt that kind of hostility as a believer. Maybe shame on me, but it seems like maybe things aren't quite that bad here. But, but, but you know, the, the holidays always seem to stir stuff up. You know, whether, I mean, I know when I was a kid, I mean, Merry Christmas is just what you said. Right? I mean, I don't, I didn't ever hear anything like happy holidays or any of that kind of stuff. And now we've got this contentious thing, right? About, 
you know, Christ and Christmas or not. And, you know, the placing of a nativity scene, you know, in a public place. And, I mean, it just, I mean, even, you know, even how we celebrate October 31st. Right? I mean, we chose to have a fall festival outside, and others celebrate with spooks and goblins and, and haunted stuff and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and, uh, and, and even, even there, there's a bit of conflict, you know? And um, Paul wrote the passage that we're in today. He wrote the passage to, to folks to give them instruction to everybody who would live godly lives in the midst of, a, of an unbelieving and hostile world, even though ours might be moderately hostile, right? But he, uh, he, gave, he gave five principles that believers need to embrace to equip ourselves against an unbelieving and hostile world. And, and he, he, the, these five things are this, and we're going to see them in the Scriptures in a minute. He says you need to have a passion for goodness. You need to have a willingness to suffer. You must have a devotion to Christ. A readiness to defend the gospel, to defend the faith. And he said and you need to keep a clear conscience, a good conscience. And we're going to look at each of those. Let me read for you, if you would, and turn in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Actually, it starts in verse 12. We ended last, uh, last message with verse 12. It says, Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he? who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, we just, uh, God, we ask you that you might impart the truth of this passage to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we might be encouraged as believers to, to stand with you, to stand in faith and to respond in ways that you would have us to respond among a among a culture among a people lord that are growing uh, more and more hostile towards you and your words lord we know that is of the enemy but lord we believe that the truth of your word is god is adequate to teach us how to live and it's in jesus name i pray amen let's go back and look at verse 13 and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's what the New King James uh, Version says. I really like the New American Standard Version of it better, for it says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Right? Who, I mean, the general consensus with, you know, to Peter was, 
most of the time, in general, people aren't going to hurt you, are not going to come after you, are not going to harm you, if your life is about doing good, right? And when we, when we think about uh, doing good, you know, we, we look at uh, good as generally characterized by, you know, generosity and unselfishness and kindness, right? Thoughtfulness towards others. I mean, we have this, we know, we know what being treated good, we know what, we know what that feels like. And Peter says that, that who's, who's going to come after you? It's a rhetorical question. Who's going to harm you, right? If you're zealous about doing good, that's a little bit different. Because it's not just about, it's not just about acting good. He says if you are zealous about being good. You know, the zealot in the day that Peter was writing this, right, was a, was a political, I mean, it was a Jewish nationalist that was committed to the cause of the nation of Israel. They were willing to kill Romans. They were willing to give their lives. They were willing to sacrifice their families. They were willing to do whatever it took, right, as a patriot to the nation. And Peter says, that's the kind of good you've got to live. That you should be zealous for good. That you should passionately, it's a passionate word, that you should passionately pursue good. He says, live in this culture with a passion to do good. Be generous. Be unselfish. Be kind. Be thoughtful of other people. And they won't, and they won't be adverse to you in general. Now, that's not always true. But I tell you, it's, it's, something, to, it's something to really think about. It, to me, it's, it's something that, that helps me think about my motivation, right, for the way that I act. You know, I wouldn't necessarily define a... A, a way of acting necessarily as, as good, righteous, I mean, whatever you want. But just, he says, be good, do good, have a passion to do good. And then he says this, but still, but still, you may still suffer, even if you have a passion for doing good. So, you also need a willingness to suffer. A willingness to suffer. Verse 14. He says, but even if, right, on the chance, by, if it, if it might happen to be so, it's not norm, won't be the norm, right? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And then verse 17 adds, for it is better, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Be willing to suffer, Peter was telling them. Right? Because suffering, you should suffer for righteousness' sake. You are, you are blessed. In which way? And how does, how does suffering bring blessing? I mean, that's probably another whole full sermon on doing it. But, but just to remind you of a couple of different passages of Scripture in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, which we'll get to probably in a couple of weeks, right? Peter teaches them this. And by the way, this, this passage that we're talking about today is kind of the third major part 
of this book of 1 Peter. And it is about Christian suffering. Right? But in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, and after you, he, tell, he tells them, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That after you have suffered, that, that Christ himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter's not the only one that says that. James also says that in James chapter 1, right beginning in verse 2. It's a common thing. It's a common passage for us. You've probably heard it. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials or when you fall into diverse stirrings when you fall into I mean it's the same type of of life as what he's talking about it's sufferings count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience other translations say produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect complete lacking in nothing even in the Beatitudes that, that Caleb read, right? Jesus said, blessed, blessed are you when people ridicule you and revile you and persecute you for my name's sake, right? So God, God promises to bless us in suffering, right? Through, through growth and through, um, you know, strengthening, you know, and... and you know, you've, you've seen it played out. I've seen it played out in the lives of believers all the time. Right? That people that are going through hard things. See, see there's, not just, there's not just, you know, we suffer on a couple of different levels, right? S sometimes the suffering that we have is just as a result of being human. Right? I mean, Christians get sick. Christians have, have kids that, that go through problems. Christians lose their spouses. There's just there's all kinds of sufferings that afflict us just because we live in a fallen world. And and through even those sufferings, we see believers that that hang on to the faithfulness of God and become stronger. And have a bold testimony. And perhaps even have a ministry that they share as a result of what God has brought them through. All suffering is ultimately God uses for our good. He does. And there is... So there needs that we should have a willingness to, to go through suffering, should that be the will of God, so that we can experience the blessing and the presence and the faithfulness and the comfort. It's all I can do right now, not just keep from pointing at people and say, Hey, stand up, brother, give me a testimony. You know, I mean, I just I know that that's true in your lives. So Peter says, be willing, right? Be willing to suffer. He says, don't be, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. 
The fear of God, reverence for God overcomes all fear. Right? Jesus himself taught, in the, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So no matter what kind of suffering that we may be going through, there's blessing from God on the other side. And then the third, the third um, principle that, uh, that we should adopt, that we need to embrace to equip ourselves against the, a hostile world is to, it's in verse 15, it says to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. It's a devotion to Christ. Set apart Christ as Lord. Lord. Lord means boss. It means that that whatever happens, we submit to Jesus as Lord. We submit to His ways. We submit to His will. We trust. We trust in His sovereign hand. Which which of these things can we control anyway? Right. So we we submit to the sovereignty of God, and we believe. We believe, as Paul preached, that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We rest on that and we believe that. and we, we stand firm in His ways and His will. When adversity and, and suffering hit, you stand firm in the Lord. You don't turn from the Lord. Oftentimes what happens is when bad times hit, suffering, persecution, whatever it may be, we tend to agree with the things of the world and we turn away from God. Paul says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And notice where he said it's set apart. It's in the heart. It's not something that's just merely external. It's not just something that says, well, I'm going to keep going to church or I'm going to, you know, uh, put something positive on Facebook. All of those are good, but it comes out of the heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. It means you know the, the the motivation of the heart is the core thing, right? I mean, it's 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 you know as as I as I think about you know people responding to suffering or think people that. That, uh, that are responding to things that are going on in their lives that are not, you know, that are not great, right? And it seems like sometimes we just put on, a, put on a happy face and, yeah, everything is good. I mean, if I could, I don't even know how many times every Sunday morning somebody just asks me, right, how are you, how are you doing? Well, I mean, I'm most always doing good. But that's not the case with everybody. And yet... That's the answer you get most of the time, right? Now, that's fine with men. If you want to preserve face, right, by making sure nobody else knows what's wrong or how you're suffering in your life, then that's one thing. We talked, talked about that last week. That's not the best thing. We count on our brothers to intercede for us, to be there for us. But you know what? It doesn't matter because God knows anyway. You know, Wednesday night I taught on, you know, we're talking about the, the attributes of God. And we talked about the omniscience of God. God knows everything. It does not matter just what you say. He knows your heart. 
And you know what? He's a God that's big enough that can take it. He understands your frustration. He even understands your anger. He understands your mistakes. He understands what you really want and desire. You might as well be honest and tell him. Might as well be honest and tell him. Sanctify the Lord Jesus in your hearts. Make, make the Lord Jesus boss of your heart. The next principle that, uh, that we see is uh, a readiness. We need to have a readiness to defend the faith. Next verse says, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now here's something I think is interesting. We've kind of talked about this a little bit over the last few weeks. Peter assumes that the life that we live in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, is visible. It's a visible life. It's different. Right? And he says, always be ready. That be ready, I mean, it's be prepared. Right? Always be prepared to give a defense. That word defense is the word that we get our word apologetics from. It's apologia. It's a, it's a <clears throat> courtroom word. Which means, okay, it's your turn. You come and defend. I mean, it is being able to articulate your beliefs. It's being able to articulate what God has done in your life. And can I tell you, for some of us, that may be harder than what, well, I don't know. I was going to say harder than what you think. It's probably easier than what you think, honestly. But you, but you know what? It, it demands, it demands that your experience of the faith be real. Because you cannot give a defense for the hope that is in you if it's not real. You won't know what to say. You won't know how to say it. It's not your, your defense can't be, well, that's, you know, that's just the way I was raised. No, that will not stand up among, in persecution. It has to be a, a real faith. It has to be yours. It has to be thought about. You have to understand what Christ did for you. What, what is it that's to be visible? The hope. The hope that I have is what's to be visible. How can you, how can you treat them like that when they treat you so bad? Well, let me tell you, it's because of Jesus. He forgave me when I was a sinner, and you know, one day I'm going to heaven to glory. It could be just that simple. Why is it that you don't respond like everybody else responds? How is it that you respond kindly? How is it that you don't get in these arguments about whether we ought to say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays? How come you don't engage in this, in this debate about nativities being on public land? How come you're not out there picketing the this or the that or whatever? Well, let me tell you, it's because of the hope. It's because Jesus makes a difference. 
It's because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through, and ultimately it ain't going to matter. That doesn't mean you don't care, and it doesn't mean you don't stand up, right? But it does matter how we do that. Always be ready to give a reason, to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Then the last thing that he has to say about that is with meekness, with meekness and in fear. See, it matters how we explain. It matters how we talk about what Christ has done. It matters how we talk about the hope that we have. Peter says, do it with meekness and fear. Other translations say gentleness and reverence. And and while the things that we stand for must be firm and and, and uncompromising, we have to have a devotion to Christ, but we also respond to people in humility and love. If, If we are confronted by a hostile world for whatever reason, and we respond on, with our side in, in a hostile way, we've done nothing. We've done nothing. Peter says when you respond, you respond in gentleness and reverence. If we're confronted by a hostile world and we react in a hostile way, then there's no hope that is to be seen. Right? And, and I tell you, it's easy to get fired up about uh, the way our cultural disregards the things of God. It is. But, but our response is not to respond in like manner as to the way they accuse or attack us. Right? Jesus taught in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I had Caleb read it. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But he said, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. The response of the world is not to be our response. We are to respond like Jesus. The last last principle that I want to talk about just a little bit is he says, and having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, that those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Some translation says, keeping, keeping, when you respond, you respond this way, keeping a good conscience. I'm going to preach more about the conscience tonight. But, but, you know, for this morning, and the, I mean, why Peter says that, that the conscience, your conscience is that internal mechanism, right? That either accuses us by convicting us when we've done something that we shouldn't, right? Or our conscience excuses us, right? It excuses us by, as a means of, of affirmation. And Peter says, keeping a good conscience. Act in a manner that you feel good about the way you respond. Now, your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to have to delineate and preach a little bit more tonight. Because your conscience can get messed up. 
Bible talks of having a seared conscience. Bible, I mean, there's all kinds of different things. But in general, it is a, it's an internal tool that God has given us to affirm when we have responded appropriately or not. And Peter says we, we use that in our response to conflict in the world. When you respond, keep your conscience good. Right? And, they, and I tell you, these are, these are challenging these are challenging principles for us. They're, they're different principles than what the world reacts to. But they are the ways of God. They are the ways of God. And, and as our culture, and I believe that it will, I believe our culture will continue to increase in hostility towards the things of God. And I don't think there's any sense in us getting mad about it. Right? We need to heed the words of, of this book, the words of Peter, and, and prepare for how to respond when it happens as it happens. That way, Almighty God is glorified through His children. Amen? Amen. Wayne, come lead us in a hymn of invitation. goes without saying that the ability to respond to conflict, to respond to things that we stand against are not, are not easy. It's our, I know it's our nature. It's my nature. It's more, I mean, other people are better at it than me. It's my nature to, hey, you say something bad about this, and I'm going to say something bad about you, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, God is glorified. God has lifted up. The hope within us is seen when we respond correctly to conflict and adversity. Hey, friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at A-T-T dot net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.